Hello and welcome back to the Not So Fit Couple podcast with your hosts, Lucy Davis. I'm Benjamin Holden. Today we are joined by Ollie Marchand. Ollie is an ex-professional athlete turned into the king of functional fitness. He has just opened his second gym, March On. Ollie is also an ex-professional rugby player, represent his country for sevens. During this very interesting chat, we talk about being teetotal from alcohol, is bodybuilding healthy, mental health, and also how to run your business as a personal trainer. This episode is also kindly sponsored by the fabulous Fabletics, which I'll be telling you a little bit more about the office during this week's podcast. Please continue to share and review the podcast and enjoy this episode. Mr. Oliver Marchin, thank you for jumping on the podcast, sir. It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Very excited. For anyone who has followed you recently, they um, will know you as a fitness guy. Give your quick 10-second elevator pitch to elevator pitch to anyone who doesn't know who you are currently. I'm in like a transition period right now where I don't quite know what, what I am myself. <laughs> I keep going through mini identity crises. Um, I, I guess first and foremost, I, I was, I'm a coach, um, ex-athlete, a rugby player of sorts, um, now coach. Um, don't actively coach anymore though. So I guess I run a few different businesses in the fitness industry, physical gyms, online training uh, and education for personal trainers. Rugby, you mentioned there. Mm. You played at a high standard, didn't you? Yeah, I guess a higher standard. I managed to play. I guess it was my my, my primary primary job. You don't have to be humble, mate. You can blow. You can blow some. The thing is, is there's, there's levels to this stuff, isn't there? Like, yeah, I played. Yeah, so I played England seven. So I represented my country at, at seven aside rugby. Um, those that are familiar with the game will realise that it's a, it's a shortened version of the fifteen aside game. Most people are just very fit, very strong, very skillful. Um, but it's not as decorated as the as the fifteen aside game. So it's not quite comparative in terms of how uh how big the players are in terms of um profiles mm-hmm. um but it's still a professional sport it's a it's a, it's a very uh, demanding sport as well from an athletic standpoint what age did you start doing rugby was that your thing growing up uh it wasn't until i went to secondary school which is oh. where they they only, the pro- rugby was their primary sport so prior really? to that yeah prior to that i was just football mad yeah. um I was just a keen like sportsman across anything really. Mm-hmm. Anything I turned my hand to, I just enjoyed doing. I loved being outside and playing sport. So football was was my primary thing. Um, and then at secondary school, I played basketball, rugby, athletics. Uh, it wasn't until kind of my second year of secondary school that I got into the team in rugby. Um, carried on playing a, a number of different sports at the same time, which was a nightmare for my mum at weekends. Trying <laughs> to take me everywhere. She hated you. Um, <laughs> And I, I, I was lucky to get picked up by a, a club called Saracens, which are a local yeah. team to me. So I, I came into their academy at sort of 15 years old. And that's when I realized that rugby was probably the thing that I was going to excel in the most. Yeah, that's amazing. Why did you stop playing? Again, a number of reasons, really. Like, I'd always just searched for that professional sportsman tag in whatever sport it could be when I was quite young. Mm-hmm. Obviously, football was the was the overall goal because you saw the sort of lifestyles these, yeah. these boys were living. <laughs> um, and then it became rugby. And once I'd I'd lived it and and been a professional athlete, and and I, I loved the daily routine of it all. Um, I was released by England because a new coach came in, and I wasn't part of his longer term plans. I was sort of 26, 27 years old. I'd given the best part now of probably 12 years to just like dedicating myself to to rugby. It's a it's a brutal sport if you pick up a few injuries mm-hmm. as well. Um, so my body was, you know, I was only 26 or 27, but I'd, I'd had a couple of surgeries. My body was, was 
daily quite quite sore. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been working alongside this as a personal trainer, so I, I actually went to university at, at, at 19 years old because I'd had a my first major injury at 18 um, when I'd signed professionally for Saracens. So did my ACL uh, ligament, went to university, studied sports science, and then became a personal trainer as a means to fund myself back into playing rugby because I dropped out of the of the system of the academy yeah. system. So I set up my freelance business. So the whole time I was playing rugby through my early twenties, I, I still had that in the background, um, and it was gathering traction as as my rugby career was was sort of progressing. And then when I came out of England, staring down the barrel of playing kind of semi pro and maybe trying to get into a, get that professional prize uh, uh, tag to my name, but what it meant in terms of like remuneration and lifestyle wasn't uh, twenty seven years old something that was very attractive. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just started to hang my boots up, and I think the. the the main factor um, or what instigated it was that last six six months playing with England Sevens. And I can only really, now reflecting back, kind of really understand it. When you're showing up every day, doing something that, you know, on the face of things you love, giving your all, but you know that at the end of it, the coach is, mm-hmm. no matter how hard you're trying, the coach still isn't, um, you know, going to keep you on or renew that contract. It left me in a pretty bad place mentally. So coupled with the physical side of things and the fact that, you know, I had something to fall back on in my PT business. Mm-hmm. It was quite an easy decision by the end. By the end, that's re- that's really similar to me with swimming. I literally, I kind of could have gone to the Olympics, but I wasn't. I was like fourth, fifth, not mm. first and second. And for me, I was like, I'm put in. Like my whole, I was a full time swimmer my whole life, everything, and I quit when I was 18, so I was quite a bit younger. But with swimming, you you start when you're like 12, like you're really good when you're 12. Honestly, I got to 18. I was like, nope, done. Like, I'm just not going to get back in the pool and then transitioned into fitness because I just, it's weird, isn't it? But I can really relate to that. I just couldn't, I couldn't give myself more time. And in swimming, there's not, there's not that much you can do like with it unless you get to the Olympics. Mm. And I knew I wasn't going to get there, unfortunately. Yeah. I went back and played a year of, of, of semi-pro rugby and it's probably the worst year of rugby I played in, in my whole career. I was terrible. Um, at a level which I should have really excelled at. Yeah. Um, and it, just walking off the pit, you know, there was times when I'd be in the change room at half time, and it was only just then that I was thinking about the game. Like I'd already missed the half of the game. I don't know where my head was, but just it just wasn't in the game. Mm. And then I'd walk off the pitch at the end and be like, what, like, what are you doing? Like you've, you're kind of over this. So when people ask me now, like, do you not miss it? Or why didn't you, you know, I didn't pick up, I didn't even pick up a rugby ball for probably the best part of four years once I retired. And you wouldn't have been able to get a rugby ball out of my hands mm. prior to that. It's just because I had, I had no interest at, at family barbecues or out of my mates or down the park. You know, we pick up a, a rugby ball or kick a football. I'd just sit on the floor yeah. and just and just watch. Um, whereas, like I say, before that, I'd be the first person to be like, lads, let's go have a kick yeah. about or let's pick up a ball and, and, and play. Mm. You mentioned the term identity there as well. Did you feel at any point that was your sole identity? And do you feel that was kind of muddied or lost when you first left the sport? Yeah, 100%. Again, like I think looking back and when you get a little bit more mature and you start looking back at things, you realise that, oh, that, that is what kind of how you felt and what you were what you were going through. But yeah, massively, um, because I don't know whether it was kind of ego talking or just as a, as a, as a young boy, what I, what I wanted to become with that job title um, and then achieving it and then kind of not having it. It's kind of like, well, what, what are you now? Yeah. Um, and the personal training industry is like, it's one of those things when like no one just wants to say oh, I'm a personal trainer or I'm, I'm or they'll say I'm, I'm just a PT yeah. because it's part of like how how personal trainers view themselves but it's also how other people kind of view oh you just oh you kind of work in a gym you like wearing tracksuits and yeah. lifting weight, weights all day 
Um, so it took me a little bit, of, a little bit of time, and I actually got it wrong going from rugby straight into to running a business. I then applied the same thought process and effort into running a business, but it was a game that I didn't know how to play. Mm -hmm. Like rugby, I knew. Um, going into running a business, I didn't really know how to do that. And there wasn't as much support as there is these days from sort of mentors and, and business coaches. So I just applied the same kind of 110% effort to try and run a business and, and pretty much burnt out after the first, first sort of year of it. But it was a good lesson at a young age. I think I've heard you speak before about burnout out with business. Mm. I mean, we've definitely been through stages before, like with business where you can just feel like you push, 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 pushing, but you're pushing against a brick wall and nothing's kind of going, going your way and you end up applying more and more mm -hmm. time to something. And I think before you know it, you're in this rabbit hole of really, really deep and you almost feel like whatever time you're not then spending on the business is a waste of time. Mm. Do you feel like you've hit that spot before and how did you almost pull yourself out that hole that you were in because a lot of people can look at look at business and be like wow he's doing fucking amazing with his business with what he's doing but then people don't truly see what sometimes goes on behind the scenes 100 i've probably told the story before but i am um, when i first went into like running a business any time where i sat down i i actually thought i was doing something wrong so for me, training was obviously like an outlet and it was kind of conducive with what my business was about, but it was something that was a non-negotiable, like a spending 60 to 90 minutes training. When I was coaching people, that was, you know, that was part of business because the business was a personal training business. And then when we opened a gym, it was kind of managing the um, the day-to-day -day admin and operational side of, of, of running a gym. But outside of that, when I was playing rugby, I knew that if I had downtime, I needed to relax and put my feet up, you know, have a nap, watch Netflix, whatever it may be. When I had a little bit of downtime when I was running a business, my my default I defaulted to then just like doing something that I felt was conducive with running a business. So I'd I'd be waking up earlier and I'd be going out on just a random run, which was like not because I couldn't start work because I didn't need to. There wasn't actually any operational or admin mm -hmm. stuff that I needed to do. I couldn't go to the gym because my gym session was you know later on that day. So I'd just go and start doing things that were like more it's actually taken away more of my energy, both physically yeah. and mentally. Um, because sit, sitting still made me feel really guilty or socializing made me feel guilty. Um, but like I say, it was just lessons that I had to, you know, I, I learned the hard way, but I'm somewhat grateful now that, you know, I learned it at the age in which I did. Um, obviously wouldn't want anyone to experience burnout, but I think when you try and create something as profound and as what is, you know, in our little, our little world has gone on to be quite successful. Mm -hmm. I think you, you have to, you know, get some tough lessons handed mm -hmm. to you at sometimes. Did you ever struggle with, so you said there you went on a run mm. and so when I stopped swimming, I was still training like this. I couldn't pull my training back. So I'm nine times a week. I was like, oh, I need to go to the gym and run and do everything nine times a week. Mm. And I was in that cycle for like a year, a year and a half where I just, I wouldn't say I was over exercising, but I was really doing too much because I thought that was the correct thing to do. Like, did you ever have that where you just, we're doing too much. Hundred percent. Again, I've told this story before, but for people that haven't heard it, the the um the defining moment for me. I mean, I'd gone from being a an 87, 88 kilo, like big, powerful, strong rugby player. Yeah, I'm not a massive dude, but I was you know a muscular dude playing rugby, very powerful, down to about probably seventy five kilos at like sort of twenty six, sorry twenty seven, twenty eight. Like when I came out of rugby, purely because I was just doing too much. And the defining moment was we were in it in the gym, myself and my little brother Charlie and, and my best mate Alex who were sort of the you know we founded the gym together and uh, we were doing some box jumps it was kind of like a you go I go fashion one after the other 
and I tried to jump on this box, which was like, wasn't very high. And I just had no power, couldn't get on it. And I sort of went to jump and sort of tripped and fell back down. Tried again, tripped and fell back down. <laughs> Tried the third time, tripped and fell back down. And I turned around and Alex was behind me. And I've like cocked my fist and almost just like, punched him square in the face. I didn't, I, you know, I stopped myself doing it. Gathered my thoughts and tried to jump again. The same thing happened. Then almost put my hand through the window <laughs> and then just left the gym. I was like, okay, I need to, I need to, you know, reassess kind of some of my life choices and what, what I'm doing. Um, wow. But like I said, at, at the time there was no one really for me to, no one was doing what I wanted to do in the gym space successfully. So there's no mm -hmm. one that I could kind of look to, 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 um, to try and emulate or, or seek guidance from. Um, and also I think it's just like part of my being, like I'm, I'm not a fairly, I'm not a well-balanced individual when it comes mm -hmm. to like work and output and stuff. And I believe that's somewhat my competitive advantage, but equally it can sometimes be my downfall. Um, but like I say, it was, it was a, it was a lesson that I learned that I haven't, you know, I haven't made again. So it's mm. glad did, you, did you, did you open up to anyone or speak to anyone about the, the kind of period that you're going through at the time? No, no. Kept it to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, like I said, there's been times more recently, probably 30 years plus I'm 34 in a couple of months where, um, I've passed on that, that those little those little life lessons to some of the gym owners and mm. and um because we've got we we run a mentorship as well for PTs and gym owners and a lot of them fall into similar traps. Like I said, I don't think many would go as as far as maybe I did, but as far as I did was was in relation to the success I had as an athlete, the success mm. we're now having with March on, like it's just amplified up a little bit, but everyone will have their own variation of yeah. that where things just get too much for them. So I think um I'm able to now talk to people about it, but at the time I wasn't, yeah. I wish in the last six months of my rugby career, there was some sort of uh, sports psychologist that I could have gone and, and, and spoke to because I, I believe that that last six months and then the the, the next 18 months of running the gym um, was kind of, it was it was all it was all kind of one in terms of how, where, my, where my mindset mm. was at. Well, everyone's hard is going to be different. We were discussing this yesterday on another podcast and although some people may not experience that as intensely as what you did, I think personal training in general can be quite a hard place to operate in, in especially in terms of your working hours. You can be up mm -hmm. super, super early, work during those hours where no one's really in work. And then mm -hmm. if there's like full blocks in your day where you're spending vast amounts of time potentially on your own, not doing a lot of work, not doing a lot of work or putting some hours into the gym, cleaning, whatever. And then again, that time where usually people are social, you're working that time again, getting in late going to bed and repeating the process again. Mm. And I think people can often sometimes feel very lonely or feel bent out in those stages as well. Do you think there's any little nuggets that you've learned or anything that you've passed along during the, the coaching course that you're doing? Because we get quite a lot of personal trainers who will listen to this podcast as well, who will potentially benefit from that. Yeah, I think um, you're right. Personal trainers work the arse end of the day. There's, there's some that are fortunate now that have, can, can manage their hours more sociably, but early mornings, late nights, a lot of the reasons why you go into personal training because you most people have gone into personal training or, or quite a few have of, through their own personal journey whether it's been rapid weight loss or training's given them confidence or it's done something to them in the sporting world that they want to then pass on to other people so all those reasons why you come into it often they get taken away from you when you start to try and grow your business yeah. you know, your training suffers your sleep suffers your relationships suffer your your ability to eat good nutrition does um I think there you mentioned going down rabbit holes. It, it, it's worthwhile trying to reverse engineer what success does look like, mm -hmm. and I don't think many people do that. That that first bit of work. So, like, what is what is the vision? Mm. What are you, what are your core values, and what is your why for doing this? Um, because then you couple that with social media and the pressures that we see, because all these other trainers doing amazing things and 
pushing different avenues to their business and, and everyone's now wanting to do things like podcasts and, and YouTube series and all that other stuff. So I think if you can come back to those those core pillars of, of why you're doing it, what are your values, what success looks like, and put some time frames towards that, then you can map whether you actually need to put your foot in the gas and, and, and do the work because a lot of people aren't doing it mm -hmm. or take your foot off and, and just appreciate that, you know, you're doing everything you set out to do. Um, you're on course. So, you know, that you if you want to be in this game for a long time, you need to have other hobbies, other interests and build relationships and stuff outside of just, just fitness. Yeah, because I think some people think, you know, when they go into personal training that it's easy and it's an easy thing to do because as you said, you see other people on social media and what they're doing now and it's, it is a highlight reel and it looks really glamorous and great, but then they don't actually see like the hard side of it. With your mental uh, coaching business you have, does that help other personal trainers in that sense in terms of like finding their feet, working their way up? And like, do you coach PTs? Is that how it works? Exactly that, yeah. So where that kind of came about, we um, just to give you a brief one on that, it's called the mm -hmm. Professional Fitness Coaches Association. Uh, the reason we started it was because we wanted to kind of raise the standards of, of personal training and what it meant to be a PT and try and professionalize our industry a little bit more. So it was all about qualifications first mm -hmm. and foremost. Then COVID happened and a lot of coaches were obviously now flapping because you know, businesses were, were suffering. So we launched the mentorship kind of first, which was it was meant to come last, but we ended up launching it first. Um, and it's very much just business support, but also just personal support for personal trainers and gym owners. And sometimes being there, I use the term shoulders to cry on. That's not really how we do it. And it's not really part of our culture, but being, being the person to support them when, when times are tough, but also being the person to give them a kick up the backside when, mm -hmm. when they're not doing something. Um, and just, yeah, just shaking them and keeping them on, on, on course because everyone's trying to be like the next coach, like the next person that they're seeing on social media, but they, they don't know whether that person's in a relationship. Does that person have kids? Like, did that person get a helping hand and investment to get where they got to? Did they get their, 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 profile and their following from previous success in another in another world you know are they attractive to other brands where they're picking up followers as well like not everyone has those opportunities mm -hmm. but it's about understanding what your strengths are um and and doubling down on those not worrying about everyone else that's yeah because you don't around. learn that in a, in a in just your pt course you don't learn business you don't learn sales you don't learn marketing or yeah again not the shoulder to cry on but the support mm. it's just not there so i think that is brilliant that you do offer that to people yeah i mean really to be honest in the pc course you don't even learn how to coach you just no, it's, so, it's so free <laughs> it's, like, it's tick boxes it's isn't it, not mate? good it's not do you think when you were setting that up that a part of it the motive behind it was frustration with some things that potentially go on in the fitness industry and what i mean by that is even i was re reflecting on it the other day so i started doing muay thai a couple of months ago and i go to like one of the some of the one-on-one -on -one sessions with the the guy who who runs it called tam and like every session we go through for like whether it's an hour an hour and a half he's he leaves like those sessions like fucked like more fucked mm -hmm. than i am sometimes because we're just going at it like he loves what he does he puts everything into it, his passion his commitment his consistency of what he's doing his love for the sport and then i'll go on instagram and then there's some bad with our ourselves on a 12-week program mm. or download my 12-week ebook who I know doesn't even have a, a coaching qualification. And for me, it almost takes the piss that someone is applying themselves that much and has that much passion for what they do in helping other people. And then you get someone on the other end of the spectrum who's just there to take from fitness yeah. and, and not give. Is, do you think that was part of the most, or what, what kind of things do you see from the fitness industry that frustrate you and motivate you to continue to better coaches? 
I think the story you said there about the, the Muto coach, and it's similar to, I, I did it a couple of years ago, um, and m my coach was exactly the same. I think it's because they've been bred in it. They, mm -hmm. It's like it, it's either been passed down from them from like their, 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 their dad or their, mm -hmm. their, you know, they've been doing it for years. Whereas personal training now, you can just become a, you know, a PT overnight and then somewhat become an overnight success. Mm -hmm. So it is a bit more, tra for these people, it's just transactional. They've, they've come in, they want to make a quick buck mm -hmm. and, and then leave. Um, I think for us, the reason we, we set it up is because as coaches, we naturally want to coach people and support people and, 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 and pass forward uh, any, any knowledge and, mm. um, that, we, that we can. So with, uh, I guess, having a, a bit of a profile within my side of the industry um, and people seeing the success of going from PT to gym owner, having an online business, et cetera, people often come to you and kind of like, well, how do you, how'd you do it? Um, so we just put things together to try and support them and, and kind of show them in our it's our way. It's not necessarily the the only way, but it's the the way we we do it. And my partner in that business, his name's Jens, is is just an unbelievable coach. Um, and I think when we talk about having a more of an impact, that's that's the main thing for us. Yeah. How can we serve more people, have more of an impact, and and leave the industry in a better place? We knew that by building a team of coaches that can then service any clients that we have within the main march on business to to deliver our, our coaching principles. Um, and then being able to then work with gym owners and personal trainers who in turn have their own clients to be able to work with that that kind of meta impact is then is then given. I interrupt this week's episode to tell you a little bit more about Fabletics Men. Fabletics Men had been the sponsor of the podcast for some time now. I've been wearing them for many years. I absolutely love the brand. The clothes are very minimal, very nice fitting. They've just released the new um, other version of the One Short. There is a multitude of offers that they offer across the board on their website from 70 to 80% off for new VIP members to getting two pairs of shorts for £24. So it is very much a value for money brand who offer great quality for good price. You can find all the offers that I've just spoken about in the links in the description and the YouTube videos. But for now, enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? You said there you've got coaches who have the same ethos as you because it's the same with any fitness business. If you're expanding it, everyone needs to align. You can't have random people who like share bullshit and fads and things. So those coaches and then the clients and then they're learning and it's just the way you've set that up is it honestly it sounds really really great really really good yeah big thing for us is when we onboard coaches into ours is is really setting out our school mm. and setting out our culture it's not going to be yeah. hand holding it's not plug and play uh, and to a large extent that means for us it's not infinitely scalable because mm. it's very much like a, a case by case basis like how can we get the best out of that personal trainer and, and understand their business and also their motivations and their personal life and all the other things that come with it um but it means that we can truly build personal training businesses and gyms that are authentic to that individual, um, which means in turn, their clients get a really authentic product as well. Mm -hmm. I think there's something to be said for struggle and hardship when you have to really earn something that is more difficult to get to that end, end result. Like we have these physical calluses that are on our hands. Like you go through those hardships sometimes. <laughs> of, yeah, my God. Of, of my building <laughs> those, me those mental ones up as well though, when you go through those kind of hardships and struggles. And I think it's the same with any kind of course or problems that you run into and I think a lot of people in life like to avoid problems but I think for me for me personally like I get a lot of happiness from solving problems so day-to-day mm. -day life is just a, a game of solving a lot of problems I think that's what we do as business owners as, as coaches as well the space that you operate in functional fitness mm. talk to me about that or what about fun or what what you would tell tell listeners functional fitness is because there's some people that will argue that functional fitness is like a bit of a manufactured term and that what what is 
dysfunctional. Yeah, yeah 100%. So, um, and I, I see I see it all and, I, and yeah. I accept everyone's kind of point here. I think what we, just firstly on that, because I, you know, I see people with the same um, sort of call out of what functional fitness mm -hmm. actually is. I think the easiest way to try and talk about this, if you're a coach wanting to, to coach functional fitness, is that the consumer can understand it. That's the main thing. It's just marketing, right? The consumer gets to understand what, what that means. You look at the large chain gyms now, they'll have a functional fitness area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, I'm not really allowed to talk about CrossFit, but hopefully this is a bit of a plug for them. But CrossFit has really popularized intentional training. It's been brilliant for for the world of training, the world of fitness and the world of training, not just for championing amazing um, fair, uh, female and male physiques, but also an intentional training that isn't just necessarily just bodybuilding and also bringing a mixed modality of fitness that, that you know, has created this kind of sport. Um, you've then also got the other side of the industry, which is like your purest strength and conditioning world, which is where I started and where kind of the march on coaching and the philosophy started as mm -hmm. well, because we came out professional sport. So we talk about it having these two, these two sides of the, um, of this spectrum, SNC on one side, CrossFit on the other. And to a large extent, both of them are sports, right? Mm -hmm. So CrossFit is a sport in its own right at the very top. We've just had the games that, that finished yesterday. Um, and strength conditioning is kind of preparing athletes for their sport, whether it's netball, running, football, rugby, etc. And we've taken the influence of that and the influence of it on my own, my own training over the years as a rugby player, the influences of us as, as coaches being able to impart that knowledge and that way of training on other people. But then realizing that if you stay too purist on that one side, it's not necessarily that conducive with your everyday fitness consumer that is looking to build a bit of muscle. Okay, so we might need to just adopt a little bit more understanding of like bodybuilding principles, looking to, you know, build some endurance so they can, you know, run the, run the marathon or a 5k, or whatever it may be. So, okay, so we need to understand that, that little bit more. And then realize that some people like they're just time, they're time poor. And we need to be able to get a bit more density into their workouts. They feel as though they're working a little bit harder rather than just like sticking to a, a really clear progressive program that sort of sets some reps and all about percentages. That doesn't work with the everyday fitness consumer. So if you water that down from SNC, you water down what CrossFit is and take out some of the highly complex weightlifting and gymnastics, you end up with this like new space in the middle, which is, I think is where functional fitness has mm -hmm. kind of, has kind of evolved. Um, so it's it, it's it's the same as, like I say, it's not it's not exclusive to anything, and everything is functional, given that you understand the the, the need or the desire of that person outside of the four walls of the gym. Mm -hmm. um, you walk into some sessions in our gym, and it will look just like a bodybuilding session because you've walked in when people are doing isolated exercises, working on their pipes. Yeah. You walk into some sessions where people are doing deadlifts, and it just looks like a you know a, a, a powerlifting session. Or you look at walk into some, and everyone's moving at quite some pace. It will look like a CrossFit Metcon. Um, so I think it's more just a term that, that helps define, you know, the ability to, to, to bring in or amalgamate a number of different training principles, uh, styles, um, and understand the consumer first, which is built off a good assessment, understand what they're, what they're looking for and then apply, um, whatever it is that they need based on all those modalities. That's like the best definition of functional fitness I've probably ever heard. Cause <laughs> if there isn't that much clarity of it, sometimes I think it's very mismatched and people don't actually understand it, but with, so with functional fitness, do you feel, do you get a lot of beginners? So mm. people who have just, so for me, if I was a beginner and I just set a foot in the gym, the thought of looking at like an element of CrossFit, an element of endurance, an element of all the movements probably would scare me. So with like beginners, how do you kind of be like, it's not scary, it's great. Like this is really, you know what, you're going to feel really amazing from this. How do you kind of deal with that i'm glad the definition came across well because we're, we're constantly asked what, what is functional yeah, fitness no, and just trying to refine really it but, um 
Look, I think the first thing for anyone is just like just a basic like skill development, like movement competency. Mm. Um, and that might look like just a real basic, like just how do they, how do they squat? How do they hinge? And, 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 and what, what are they like when they're pushing and pulling both vertically and horizontally? And you build a program around those movements. Now the exercise selection, it could look typically like a bodybuilding session, mm. because if mm. we want something where someone's going to build repetition, and understanding how to move where their body is in space, build some some muscular endurance, muscular endurance, and then strength. We just choose simple exercises. The session might look very much like a legs like a leg day in a in a an everyday gym. If I look at my my upper body session today, it was very much like there was hypertrophy uh, push pull like sets, mm -hmm. bench press and rows for the most part, and then a strict press, and then some um, a French press and some bicep curls. So it was just like an upper body day. Mm. Um, and that's functional for what I'm looking to achieve, you know, aesthetics and some performance and a bit of sort of injury rehab. Um, but I think, yeah, when we go back to the beginner conversation, yeah, it's understanding kind of how they move now. What is their understanding of movement? Where, where is there, is there opportunities to apply some stimulus and actually get them stronger? Um, and then work within a, you know, work with a set of exercises that allow them to rinse and repeat that dose and a little bit of variety. So they stay engaged. Um, and then usually we finish a session with a little bit of like, we'll call it high intensity, but just trying to build a bit more capacity mm -hmm. so that their ceiling is just raising every time, which in turn helps them get through more volume in their strength work because they're getting the underlying aerobic fitness is get, getting better. Mm. Um, but the spectrum of what a functional fitness session looks like or how you take someone on that journey could literally start, like I say, very much like a bit of a bodybuilding session or threading in 50, 60% bodybuilding because it's controlled and it's isolated and they can feel muscular mm. contractions. Yeah probably a bit of a compound lift as well. So we're getting that full body movement, which builds full body strength. Um, and then some sort of like metabolic or heart raiser towards the end. So at the end of that session, because everyone remembers the last five, 10 minutes, and most people like to finish on a high, yeah. feeling that they've got some work done. And you might just pair something very simple, like a cyclical exercise, like a bike with, you know, a kettlebell exercise or, or, or even something that's like trunk stability. Mm. It really doesn't need to be that, um, that fancy and it certainly doesn't need to look anything like crossfit mm -hmm. those athletes that are looking to progress along their training journey you know you take some of us that have been competitive with our fitness before for sport then you get people who are competitive in fitness for like bodybuilding events or strongman then you've got the people who train every day their competition then becomes a functional fitness event then once they you know they have success in that they want to then learn the skills to then be able to progress on even further which at the moment i guess the holy grail within fitness is, is crossfit because it's the it's the biggest challenge we need to have an understanding and and good competency 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 across the board yeah i do like the space because i think it kind of gives people a little bit of what they want with a little bit of what they need because if you try and push people completely out of like their, their norms, mm. people are going to resist it a little bit because they've identified a certain type of training for a long, long period of time. I think that's why obviously CrossFit's good as well because that kind of focuses on a different element of where people will see, especially like this game. I can't remember the blonde, blonde girl was called who's, who's big. Um, Sarah Sigmund's daughter? No, there's no, it was a new girl. She was so oh, Danny Spiegel. strong. Yeah. Danny Spiegel, yeah, yeah. She I, was incredible. And like, I, I think it's massively inspiring to other women to see other women not just looking to get smaller because a mm. lot of times in like the, the gem pop fitness space, it's just everything's geared around being smaller, weight loss, mm, mm, being skinny. Mm. And it's nice to see those kind of women who are just out there strong, fit as fuck as well. And just getting shit done. I think that's the nice thing that CrossFit offers is that alternative to just being focused on purely aesthetic. And the same with the functional fitness space as well. 
So it's nice to kind of see that introduction of and what's going on. And almost like you said, a watered down version. Because for some people, CrossFit can be quite scary. I think when they look at people launching barbells around and there's there's always that kind of especially the, the extremists in each camp who are gonna push back against each other and they're often the ones who will challenge the what you just defined as functional fitness or what is functional fitness, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the bodybuilder kind of sphere. The only thing I think with that, when I did CrossFit, and again, this will be very dependent on gyms, is sometimes it can feel clicky depending mm. on where you go. And mm. even, Khaled, I don't know if you can pull it up. I think Dr. Mike put something up from CrossFit the other day. I think they came out with some quote about nutrition or something. And Yeah, it's athlete. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. and I just think sometimes with that, it's like, oh, fuck's sake. Mm. Like you feel like it's moving in the right direction and it kind of just, because then people from like generically will just look at it and be like, well, that's mm. not me. Mm. I can't identify with that. And it's, 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 it's difficult. But then I, I also understand that the type of sport of CrossFit, it is very athletic. Very athletic. for athletes, but then it's like kind of, it's creating some barriers to entry for, for potentially people who would like to get into it as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we sit, so March On sits like adjacent to CrossFit, um, which is quite a nice position for us to sit into because we like to think that we're respected enough by some of their athletes because we train fucking hard ourselves. Yeah. And we can, you know, a lot of the people within our sphere or on our program and even some of our coaches compete in CrossFit. So we sit adjacent to it, but we're not, we're not affiliated. That's why I sometimes get in trouble for mm. mentioning them. Um, but then... Equally, we have programs that sit kind of adjacent to more bodybuilding style, just, you know, general, um, more sort of strength conditioning, bodybuilding, that kind of stuff. Um, I think if you were in the CrossFit community, you would, you would say that it's, it's all inclusive. We welcome everyone. And they do have people from complete beginners, elderly, and they're often putting that stuff out on the marketing uh, on the, on their socials. I think the post they put up the other day about the nutrition thing was, was completely missing the mark. I don't know whether sometimes these brands have to put stuff up that that is like so one-sided that it is a little bit polarizing mm-hmm. um, because it because it gets us talking yeah. on, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah, this of course, podcast. Yeah, they're very or, clever. Yeah, or they just yeah they, they they do have just a different way a different way of seeing seeing things that's potentially a little bit unhealthy for people that are less educated mm. or or can't look at it and take it with a pinch of salt. Um, to your point about the girls and the, their physiques, they're literally incredible. I mean, what CrossFit has done, like I say, for for my business in terms of like women wanting to do proper strength training, and this isn't to become muscle bound because most of the tr- women we train are never going to you know build considerable amounts of muscle. Lifestyle isn't conducive for mm-hmm. it, um, but it means that they can train intentionally, and we know that we can get them stronger and we can make them feel more confident. They're going to have better relationships with their with their kids and their spouse and everything else. So it's done masses, you know, wonders for for what we do. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the main part. But though I think, I mean, I followed you for years as well. I think the the thing that was a, was a big draw for me was that you had that balance between social life. You're training fucking hard. You you look great. And again, like we've spoken about before, for me, something that I've been documenting at the moment is a YouTube series called the Unwind series, and it's the the marathon prep. So I'm doing that alongside like bodybuilding training mm. and then I'm also doing Muay Thai so it's kind of mixture of stuff and balance and recovery and stuff but my whole program like when I sat down with Fergus to plan it out the first thing that I put I put in to the program was similar to how I do my diary mm. so my diary is I put the things or the shit that I want to do first so like the fun stuff the social stuff whatever else and I build my working around it because for a long time I worked the other way around and I think mm. as business owners we you create your own business to have more free time and more freedom. We end mm-hmm. up with less of it. Mm-hmm. So I think if you reverse engineer that sometimes, like we were speaking about before, you put the shit in that you want to do and then work around it. You'll still get the work done, but you'll have those social occasions in. So what I did with 
the program that I'm doing at the moment because I class myself as very lifestyle driven is all like through the summer we've had social occasions all the way through weddings parties birthdays on the weekends so a lot of my program has kind of been adapted around those social occasions that I already knew were in there yeah it's made things a lot easier because then I'm not getting up one morning hungover thinking oh, I'm not going to do that half marathon mm. because which is what I did. Well, yeah, we used to quite a lot because I can't be awesome hungover. I had too many beers because everything's already set up. I've already done my shit and it's like, enjoy it. Mm. I mean, that's the, the thing that I took a lot from your stuff was that you can have that social life, that balance and still be able to train. Whereas perhaps for what I did in, a lot in early life, which was just blinkers on bodybuilding, was super restricted with that aspect of life because you can't, you can't have all, you can't eat, have your cake and eat it because when you're purely solely focused on aesthetics, there's restrictions that you've got to have with going out with eating food and stuff because it just can't, the, the, although you want to have balance and you'll even see with a lot of people who are in that real extreme bodybuilding sphere is that the best days that they often have are off day plans mm. and they're loving it and enjoying it. And they even put posts up, have an amazing day for off day plan. Mm. Well, you could, you could have way more of that if you kind of remove the blinkers and maybe tried other aspects of fitness. And I don't know whether that comes down to social learning, education, Maybe just even maturity. I think it's difficult to potentially put your finger on it. I think it's definitely is maturity. And I think it's also just where the fitness industry is at now. And mm-hmm. and how now there's more emphasis placed on what, what your body can do as a, mm-hmm. as a you know, as a tool um, and the performance side of things. You know, being able to be a, you know, train as a bodybuilder, run, you know, run a marathon, all those kind of things now. Like it's, it's because we're getting influenced by the cool people doing cool shit like that mm-hmm. and showing like, okay, there's another way to train. Um, whereas, you know, six, seven years ago, I got known, I, I suppose I, w- I was kind of adopted into bodybuilding world because I looked a bit like a bodybuilder, but I never really trained like them or my body could do other stuff as well. Um, which is where I kind of focused my USP and that's where functional mm-hmm. physiques and the functional fitness thing kind of started for us. Uh, now, and I, and I was, as I've got more m- older and more mature, like I was in way better shape there in my, in my head, particularly with like body fat, for example. But you think you were in better shape before? I was in terms of like, if we look at like the numbers of like what my body fat was, but now I'm... Well, I'm just saying, Cal saw a picture the other day and he's like, fucking now. Yeah. <laughs> Cal's the rig on him. But again, like yeah. I said, I was, I was yeah. 78, 79 kilos. I looked the part, yeah. but I was a complete melt when it came to anything to do with like, you know, proper, proper fitness mm. compared to where, where I am now. Um, and I think, like I say, the, the the success of other people in the industry and just like championing, doing cool shit with your body has meant now there's another, we've realized another way to do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just the point you made about just planning, zooming out a little bit and looking at what's, what does the next three months look like? Okay, what does success look like for my training? I want to try and get through X amount of sessions. And then you'll be like, okay, well, this is my social calendar. If I need to hit these amount of sessions, I might need to just cut back on, on that, that and that mm-hmm. event rather than taking away all of the fun, which is what we usually do with bodybuilding because none of it's conducive with yeah. trying to stay in mm-hmm. shape. You obviously can't have all of the fun, otherwise you're just not gonna get your training done. You can make some, you can find you know, find a happy medium where you can still have a bit of a social life and, and still train really hard. Mm-hmm. And again, everyone's version of success is gonna be different. 100%. For me, I might make more sacrifices than other people. Um, or there's things that I would sacrifice that other people wouldn't, and mm-hmm. equally, you know, they would they would do they would hold more value in doing something that I potentially wouldn't find that exciting, so I just wouldn't do it. Did you ever want to compete in bodybuilding? Did that ever cross your mind because you were in really good shape? Like, oh, I could, you know, step on stage. And genetically, you definitely have got. It was kind of the rig to to be able to do so. 
in like the the the, the body power heyday of like you know, when you when you when that's like because that's the, that was the, what the industry was right everyone <laughs> everyone got in shape for body power um and that's kind of where you gained your inspiration like walking around the you know, the gym shark stand and i think there was even like an actual there was a, a competition at, at, at body power wasn't it some sort of yeah yeah they had them on the stage yeah. yeah um there was probably like a two-week period where i thought about it then yeah but for the most part uh I knew a lot of bodybuilders. I'd seen what it kind of took to to, to get to that sort of stage. I, I also think like coming from a, a sport background where if you score more points in the other team, like you win, right? Whereas when you're in, in bodybuilding, you can stand up there and you could look better than the people next to you. I mean, it might be your, you know, very subjective. Um, yeah, it's very, and and someone's going to tell you that you, you know you don't you don't win because of that. It's not. Um, it's not what it's not what I'm about. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very difficult. That like it, you could be the best on the day, and because there's a different judge there who's judging you, you you don't get it. But I think obviously you got to saw or see potentially some of the guys who were going through that hardship and a lot of sacrifice and saw what it took. I'm like, that's fucking, I don't want to do it, which mm. is which is fine. I think a, a lot of people social media don't see that side of it, and they just see the golden Adonis that is put up on the explore page and like I, I fucking want that mm. they don't realize the sacrifice the hardship that comes with it and at the end of the day extreme bodybuilding is not healthy i don't mm. give a shit what anyone says it's not especially when you want to take it to a really high level as mm. well you've got you've got to be taking steroids to do it mm. it's it's not it doesn't tie in with health health and fitness really it's 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 at the end of the spectrum which is completely different to if you were just just health focused, and I think that's the, the nice thing about functional fitness that, that we've been talking about before is that you've got these different pockets of like health, aerobic fitness, aesthetics, and you mm. can kind of position yourself for or even, it's an even like a scale like I'm doing with the the run at the moment. Like there'll be certain aspects where you can move that little dial further up towards lifting or further down towards aerobic or running or whatever it may be. Whereas you just don't really get that with with just bodybuilding alone. I think it goes back to the spectrum we're talking about. If we just look at bodybuilding on the spectrum, you've got the sport of bodybuilding, which is like if you're gonna if you're playing the sport, you're you're competing, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And that isn't proper, arguably not probably not that that healthy and not not really what most people should be shooting for if they're just looking to be in shape and and li live a healthier life. And if you just turn that dial down, like you said, and just train three four days a week with an underlying, you know, focus towards hypertrophy and building muscle mass, and then just to hit a couple of runs each week, like. You're going to be in pretty serious shape and be able to do a lot of cool stuff mm -hmm. with your body. I think it was Mark Manson who said, it doesn't matter how good something is, anything of too much good is bad. Mm. Which is really interesting. Too much good is bad. doesn't matter how good it is. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was like me with my ultra. It was ooh, a lot of running and now I've got like injuries. I, th I think that... I, I completely agree with that. I think if you want to do anything like mega profound, like you look at some of the most successful people in whatever industry that they are, like too much good is bad for them, but that's why they're, but that's why they are so successful as well. Yeah. I think you just need to align like your expectations with like what you're willing to put into all of these things, whether it is bodybuilding, CrossFit, business, becoming the most successful YouTuber, whatever it may be. Um, just know, know what your limit is and know what success looks like. I think you've got to take those bad things with it, though, if you want to be that good. Like, if you look at people, I mean, even, I think Carl sent me a TikTok the other day. He said, fucking hell, mate, look at the state of Ronnie Coleman now. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who wants to be that level of bodybuilding, be one of the goats and the greats, you can't just be that great without the level of shit that's going to follow from it. Mm. You can't just, you can't just kind of like pick these little characteristics of some of the things that you want to have and not have that kind of 
the aftermath of of giving up and sacrificing so much for so long without the kind of ramifications and repercussions that potentially come with wanting that much. Mm. Do you think so? This is just a question I literally thought of then. So I'm I'm more performance driven now. I used to be just solely aesthetics when I started. I was very concerned with what I looked like solely. And then it became like aesthetics, performance, health, and I'm way more performance now. I just love it. I thrive off performance probably because I did grow up as a swimmer. You know, with bodybuilding, is it, do you think it's performance-based? So I think running, mm. performance, you can hit times, you can do this. Mm. Bodybuilding, you're looking a certain way. I don't know if that's classed as performance, like CrossFit performance. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I can't, I don't, people would say, I think if you were a bodybuilder, it you are p- performing, but I just can't well, see I, it. I, I, there's an argument that I have someone on social media the other day because he said bodybuilding's the hardest sport in the world. I definitely disagree. Yeah. It's, it doesn't even. It, I mean, for me, it doesn't even require a skill. There's no. There's no, there's no skill, is there? There's not well, really. The po- I think the posing probably is a skill. Mm. To be honest, I try and stay out of all of that stuff because it, it's impossible to argue with people who have got their own biases towards stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can see it from a from a performance standpoint in bodybuilding. Like, yes, the kilos on the bar to some degree matter because if you're getting stronger, you're probably building more more muscle tissue. Yeah. But I guess that the overall goal, if you look at that bodybuilding, is just like you're judged on your physical appearance. Mm. When they're on stage, they're not like, hey, what did what did you squat versus what did they squat? It's like, no, his 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 yeah, it's not powerlifting, his, is it? His physique yeah. looks better, so it is judged on your appearance. Um, but there, there was some research I don't know if it was based on um, like public feedback or whether it was done in terms of science but they were saying that rugby is the, the hardest sport in the world yeah I think I think on your body um, unfortunately rugby, rugby is probably the hardest sport in, sport in the world I think back when I was young I remember them saying something like a, premier, a premiership match I'm going to get this slightly wrong but with the physical uh, um the ramifications of the game was like going through, I think two or three head on car crashes at 30 or 40 miles an hour. If you played a certain position, that's what it, that's kind of what it was like. Did you ever get any big hits? No. Yeah. I mean, I not got knocked out a few times. Um, Fractured cheekbone, broken noses. I like I said, surgery on my knee, shoulder. Um, And I played in, in a position that's inherently that we stay out the way of the big dudes. Oh my God. Um, There's a lot of stuff coming out now as well with, unfortunately there's a lot of players with now you know long lasting terminal kind of head head injuries and things that are there was a film on that wasn't there on the nfl N- nfl yeah, where it's, they it's, it's, it's concussion. similar for similar for them um and they weren't yeah. helmets yeah rugby it's a brutal sport and when you look at the size of these like kids now and how strong they are how fast they run and they're doing a lot in the in the in the game now to try and make it safer particularly the way you tackle you know the way in which a lot of the sort of areas where there is contact in malls and rucks and things they're, 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 there's now constraints to make it safer but there's still you know still two two big full-grown men running yeah you know as fast as they can at each other looking to t- take each other out from your experience growing up as a rugby player would you want your kids if they were like dad i want to do rugby mm. would you be like people ask it all the time uh maybe. i think that what you get from it is a, is a an amazing amount of like teamwork uh discipline um, and just the ability to kind of handle yourself, like because it's you know you just get knocked about. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely other sports that I'd rather put them into. I'd put them more into in towards martial arts, gymnastics, things that mm-hmm. we can learn. Particularly from a young age, you just learn good hand-eye coordination, um, just good bodily awareness. And I think the, the the discipline piece and everything you get from martial arts is is, is probably in a much more controlled manner. 
um, I'd do that. But if they, you know, if they, if they had an opportunity to excel in rugby and that was what I wanted to do, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold them back. Yeah, that's... I think martial arts is having a few people spoke about this before for especially kids is great because. I mean, essentially, they can't hit each other that hard, so it's a lot about skill, technique, mm-hmm. learning, discipline, which I think is great to potentially put mm. someone young through. Obviously, you being a dad, becoming a father, it's something that's definitely on on my radar at the moment. How <laughs> on both your radars at the moment? Yeah, just... yeah no, both, both, both. Well, I'm being kind of pushed rather <laughs> uh, swayed into it. But what what kind of things? Because again, a lot of our listeners will be mums, dads, have mm. big, have family lives. How have you? How has your life changed since you've? had kids and how have you had to make sacrifices when you've got now different priorities mm. again like this is my lived experiences and the kind of setup that i have but i'm very fortunate in that my wife is is an incredible mother and she kind of allows me to do a lot of the st- stuff that, that i do you know i work you know on average six seven days a week like i'm always constantly kind of kind of working which i think is the nature of the beast when you mm-hmm. run a business um but I make sure that I uh, Sundays is, is a day where I try to be as, as present and as, as home as I can with the family. Um, we do sometimes have events on Sundays where I need then me to make, make exceptions. Um, I've just had to l- learn to be a lot less selfish. Mm-hmm. I'm naturally a very selfish person. I mean, I give anyone and everyone all, as much energy as I can, but there are certain things that I know that kind of hold my my world together, be it my training, my, my sleep is, is probably the biggest one. Um, my training and and th- things like my nutrition so i make sure i protect them as best as i can um and then yeah just working very closely with with my wife and make sure we have good uh, good conversation and communication that if, if she needs more of me that, that i can give her that um and that if i if, if i'm in a, an intense work period that she understands that you know i'm i'm, I'm going to be working quite quite a lot um but yeah, I, I'd say just learning to understand that you know, it's not all about <laughs> all about me. And there's other, you know, my kids need need my time, and um, I need to be there for them. And then just patience as well, because mm-hmm. I'm I'm not very patient. Mm-hmm. So just learning a little bit about that. But I'm learning every day as my kids kind of grow up, um, and also as my wife kind of shows me the way a little bit more because she's she's phenomenal. Oh. I think the the topic of being selfish is quite an interesting conversation. I think it's the the word and even itself being selfish is sometimes seeing a negative light mm. i think it was lewis howes who was talking about his relationships and how he's sometimes selfish and how he i think the partner who he's with now when he first went on a date with her i think i think he was on his very first date and he yeah, met her and they were at dinner <laughs> and he was talking about and he he said to her straight up you're never going to be my number one priority you're not even going to be my number two priority you're going to be priority number three mm. and the reason for that is because my number one priority has to be my physical health and mental health and then my second priority needs to be my own value missions and, and it was what, his work wasn't it work was essentially yeah and number three will be you and if i'm looking after those two then i'm going to give my best and my all to make sure that you're priority number one basically and you are a priority in my life and if i can't do those two then I, I can't commit to it and i think some people will look at that kind of strange but i think if you think about it it does make sense because a lot of times you do have to be selfish to be selfless and to, mm. there's, especially in the personal training world there's so many people who are giving so much themselves and not spending enough time for themselves on themselves to then give their best yeah i'm it's funny you brought that reference because i remember up until i'd say probably 25 but i'm guessing i kind of had the same I, I said the same thing to, to to girls that i was with it but primarily you know lauren um in that like I, I had no interest in making a, a relationship like a serious thing because mm-hmm. rugby was the only thing that mattered 
Um, I, again, I think things come with maturity, but also, yeah, just understanding for me that like home life and laws in particular had just become like this anchor to allow me to do all of those things. And I think those non-negotiables for me, my sleep, my, my training, my nutrition, it's really those three things really and work. Like I, I need to be able to, to, to do my best work. And my argument is rightly or wrongly that if I'm able to do my best work, I can provide all these things that, you know, laws for laws and the kids, you know, nice holidays, a nice house to live in all the, you know, um, so yeah, I think that's really, that's really kind of the, 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 the arrangement we have. Um, but I wouldn't say that it's like a one, two and three now. I think I just need to, I need to make sure that all of them are balanced so that I feel in a good headspace. A lot of the time now, like I just have to find the time to train, which wouldn't be optimal if, if it was just me, but I have to then make sacrifices to find the time to train. And that might mean that I need to go to sleep earlier, which means I can't do something in the evening like watch TV with Loz, but it means I can wake up earlier to train earlier to then be able to do the thing with the family like the next day. Yeah. Um, so it's just make, making, it's just planning a little bit better. I think that bit in between is really difficult to navigate for a lot of people because a lot of people are either all in or they're not. Mm. And for things not to be, I think that's what a lot of people do in fitness though is they're looking all the time for what's optimal. Whereas a lot of the time what is suboptimal will be far more beneficial for a lot of people in terms of balance, lifestyle, getting things right. Because as soon as someone then fucks up, it's like, I can't do it. I might as well do nothing rather than kind of that. Yeah, they go into destruction mode. Yeah, that, that middle bit where you can mm. allow yourself a little bit of fuck up alongside <coughs> the other bits. And that's a, the thing that I speak to a lot of clients and members is is kind of, I mean, you don't want to set kind of really rigid concept, but even like an 80-20 rule of where you're able to kind of get that flexibility and al allow yourself to fail sometimes. I think a lot of times in the fitness industry, we shut down failure and vulnerability Mm. And a lot of people suffer and struggle with that because the reason why a lot of people are scared to go into gyms in the first place is because they don't want to fail and they don't want to fuck up and they don't want to seem to be a failure to other people, which I think if we encourage that a little bit more, we'll give or we'll get a lot more people in the space because even still in fitness, there's not a massive amount of people in respect to the amount of the population that are in gyms or in fitness. Mm. Use the word optimize there. That was a buzzword like a little while ago and everyone i i myself i tried to optimize everything mm -hmm. but you just realize that there's like a, there's a limit to what you can optimize it was the same with like i think it's probably through through covid that everyone was working on like a morning routine and an evening routine because you now had time to create all these routines and it would be like a, a 60 minute to 90 minute drawn out process where you'd now do meditating cold showers yoga whatever else it may be yeah. and then when you realize that real life starts back up like that that routine didn't, didn't work anymore yeah because you've got 15 minutes yeah because you could literally just brush yeah. your teeth have a shower and leave um, so I think it's a constant, like it's a like iterative po process. Uh, and like you said, with the 80, 20 rules, like trial, trial and error, like mm -hmm. try something. If it doesn't work, swap it out for something new. If it does work, keep it in when it stops working then try the next thing. Um, I think I, I mentioned this before. Most people can create a really good amount of order around the, the, the thing that they do the most, probably going to work, like the, the time they show up, the work they do when they're there and then when they leave, mm -hmm. but they're just not willing to try and create a bit of order around the other things that might make them healthier, happier, lose a bit of weight because it takes a bit of effort. And then sometimes when they try, they got the balance wrong or it wasn't quite 80, 20, or they took out some of the bits that really like are enjoyable for them and they're not willing then to, tr to try another way of doing it. But that's really, for me, that's all I've done. I've, I've, I've compartmentalized those areas of my life, fa like family. So being a husband and a father, what does being a business owner look like? What does the athlete still need to do? Um, and then create order in those things in a routine 
different times of the year will change. Opening the new gym you know, just down the road here is completely new for me. It's now a level of of commuting that was never there before. Mm-hmm. It's completely ruined the morning routine that I had had. It means that I'm back at random random times in the evening. It's impacted training and everything else. But over time, I just need to relish in the new challenge because I put myself in that situation. And over time, try and build a, a routine to, to, to allow myself to excel in, in those different hats that I wear. And you probably know as well from experience, it will take a couple of months. Like when change happens, something good is always on the other side of change. But then during the period, it's busy. It feels stressful. There's pressure. Mm. But from your past experience, when you've opened gyms before and you've opened different parts of your businesses, you probably know, okay, you know, it's going to be shit for like a couple of weeks, couple of months. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. And I think that's a really, really important message because our listeners might be thinking, oh my God, like he's really successful. He's done so much. Like he must never feel the like the pressure but you obviously do and that's like really really important to share to other people as well 100 every every day there's a pressure yeah. it's like just it's just amount that it's like the right amount of pressure to to make me get up and feel really excited about the day um and like i said that the lesson i learned we go back to the, the the bit how we started with the burnout bit is that when where it could go really wrong is if i no longer have myself being able mm-hmm. to do my be- my best work every day because i've gone too far Whereas, you know, that, that lesson taught me that if, if someone took everything away from me, so long as I'm fit and healthy and excited about what I can do, I can just start it all over again. So even in like the toughest days now, you can just zoom out a little bit and be like, well, I, I put myself in the situation. I'm exactly where I need to be. Um, this is how it goes down. And, you know, it's this isn't this is just part of the process of, of start starting a new business, opening a new gym, whatever, or, or starting a new training program. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're sore and tired and you've got to train after work, like, yeah, this is this is where I need to be. And if you if you take your foot off the gas and just have a, have a, a night off, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Like, why, why are we in a rush to try and, you know, success isn't a twelve week program. Success is me still training in twelve years time. For the gym, we've got a ten year lease. So success isn't in this first ten days. Mm-hmm. It's in you know making sure that we can fulfill a ten year lease and grow into the, the the time that we have there. You've reached a level of success in the field that we're in, and a lot of people personal trainers would look at that and and grab it with two hands Mm. has it been everything that you thought it would be oh good question uh i think because the fast-paced nature of our business and how like a lot of the growth it comes sometimes comes all you know all at once um i haven't really had much chance to reflect back on it i guess back in the day i used to say that we're going to be the 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 you know, the number one functional fitness gym or community in the UK, right? So the fact that we arguably are, arguably are you know, up there now, um, it kind of is in line with what I set out to do. But I think um, we've constantly invested in trying to bring a great team on board and bring really good people into the business. And I think when you've got that many people who share the same values and all have the same intentions for what they want from their own career and, 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 and the, the good of the business, it was kind of inevitable that we that we'd get to this stage. Um, so do I, th- I mean, we're in a really fortunate place. Do I think we would have got here? I'd like to think so. You know, I applied myself through my, from my younger years with, with rugby and, and, and education, and I got to a good stage with that. I've applied the same kind of logic and, and hard work within, within fitness. So the fact we are where we are, I think it was, yeah, it, it was inevitable. Um, and that sounds really egotistical because, and, and, and I don't, I don't want it to be. It doesn't. But, but it's, it's, it's just come through like everything people see on the on the outside 
is exactly how it goes on on the inside. It's not just me. I'm I'm often sort of riding the wave of the people that I'm working around and alongside as as other people that work within the business. But it is literally a daily pursuit. You know, you mentioned people see all this stuff on social media. Like we've been driving over here. Like Sam has been driving me over here. At like we leave at four a.m. in the morning. Um, sometimes we're not getting back till late in the evening, mm -hmm. and it's literally nonstop all day. I put up a cool workout at lunchtime and it just looks like, oh, we had a cool workout. Yeah. That's like, that was the highlight of my day and it goes back to the my yeah. non-negotiables. Like that's the thing I, I need to be able to do. But for the rest of the time, we're worrying about like, have we got laundry now organized, you know, for, for, for the new gym? It's just, it's just like mundane work. Yeah. But you, you just try and make sure that you fill your day with those little nuggets of like highs, like training or mm -hmm. a good conversation with people that, that really give you fulfillment. It's funny you should mention that. I think I was watching something that, I think it was Matt Mellon put a story up the other day, does some video work for you sometimes. And you were messing around making him a coffee or something in the, the mm. new gym, like having a laugh and stuff. And I was like, some people will see that and be like, oh, everyone looks great hunky-dory. Mm. And I was thinking behind closed doors, like that it must be stressful at the moment in terms of opening a new gym, new facility in the middle of London. There's a lot of other logistical stuff going on. What kind of pressure was there during that time when you were first opening the gym and how did you... How did you cope with that? Because again, it's it can look like a highlight reel, but then I think in terms of because I've been on that side of it, mm. I can understand there's potentially a lot more that people don't see, like you've just been talking about. Well, I mean, the easiest way to kind of distill it down to understand it is like everyone that follows me or March on follows me and March on, so they know they know the brand. They 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 might buy something from us or they use one of our services or at least they watch the social media. You put a gym in somewhere where you're not the local hero of a PT, uh, it's a bit more of a standing start. So whilst we've got a few people that are early adopters that are coming to the gym because it's on their commute and they knew who we were or they did the online program to everyone else in the local, like the local market who are our potential clients, they couldn't give a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't even know who we are. Yeah. So it's just like running any business. Like it's like it's, it's a startup mentality where every conversation matters. You're trying to prove to people, particularly when you try and sell PT, right? They're like, how much is it? Yeah. You know, you're trying to prove to someone why you would spend a couple of hundred pounds a month on our gym versus the Anytime Fitness down the road. And it's literally startup, like mm -hmm. startup culture, startup mentality. Um, the week of opening or the week prior to opening, I wouldn't say everything that could go wrong went wrong, but there was like every day, daily, things were going wrong with tradesmen, deliveries, you know, and it, on the Monday um, of that final week, we didn't actually think we'd, we'd, we'd make it to open on, on, on the Saturday. So like every day you're literally just doing all you can and a lot of stuff's out of your control. I mean, that's the most stress you can be in as a business owner. Yeah. Um, when, when you've got a date to launch something, everything's kind of going wrong. A lot of it's out of your control. Most business owners are really good at like just getting it done, put work through the night, but a lot of it, we could, we, there's, there's literally nothing we mm -hmm. can do. Um, but again, like we, we take it in turns within the team. Like when one person's having a stressful day, the other person would be like, yeah, don't worry, just zoom out. It's going to be fine. No. What is the worst that can happen? We push the opening day seven days by a couple of days. Like mm -hmm. it's not the end of the world. People will still come when you when you move it. Um, you just can't see it when you're in it. Yeah. And then the next day, that person will be having a wobble, and you're saying something similar to them. Um, but I always just go back to like the, the, the worst that can happen is this gym doesn't open and it, and it all falls through. I still have myself. I still have our team. We can start again. I think not to like dumb people's problems down. I was speaking to a friend about this the other day, and the thing that I always think about, and it's difficult perspective to take if like if, it's, if it doesn't kill you you're going to be okay mm. because unless you've got contact or something unless you can sometimes take a step back it does feel like the worst thing in the world that's that's ever happened to you and i, I think a big part of that is protecting your own energy and this is the thing that 
I've spoken to other personal trainers, not even other people in their in their workplace about before, is how you protect your own energy because there are going to be certain people that whether you work with on your team or work with as a client who just don't want to do the shit that needs to be done. How do you deal with those kind of people? Because if you can't give all your energy and all your fucks to everyone all mm. the time, how do you kind of navigate those now that you've gained more experience through the past couple of years? Um, again, understanding that like you can't please everyone at the same time is kind of exactly what you said in different words. But I, I've learned to like to to acknowledge that and understand it, and that you know when you're trying to sell someone to someone, <clears throat> sell something to someone, particularly when you put your heart and soul into it, and you believe it's gonna the thing that's gonna fix their problem, and they just don't, you know, they they don't see it. You take it, you take it personally, or if, if a client leaves, or or even if a you know an employee that's worked for us wants to wants to wants to move on, you take it really personally, but so long as everything you're doing comes from a place of good intention um if someone doesn't you know buy into your services or or or, or pull their weight with on your team or 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 give back to you kind of what you get the same energy you're giving to them i would just start polite polite politely kind of you know move on and, and not be so fussed about it um i, I have a really small friendship group and <clears throat> i keep it that way and it needs to be that way so that i don't have to come into you know conversation or, or come up against those things that just can be draining on your energy. Mm -hmm. I think too many people are just trying to crowd please like too much, yeah. and it's just like. Did you have that previous though? Did you have quite a big group of friends that slowly filtered down into a few, or has it always been just not really a I mean, few got, people? Not, uh, I guess more. I've I've probably got a large friendship group, but I think my it's like a it's an understanding that like, I'm not going to be that person that's going to message people all the time or even mm -hmm. get back to messages or, or or jump on a phone call just to check in. Now, again, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but it allows me to operate and look after the people that are really within my sphere. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got almost 20 employees now. That's like 20 people's livelihoods, mortgages, mm -hmm. rents and stuff that we need to, food on the table that I need to get, like, worry about. Like those people are, you know, sometimes like on my, well, they're, they're on my mind more than like my closest friends or people I grew up with because they need to be mm -hmm. because you know what they do and and, and the and, like the effort and work that they can put in directly impacts me and my kids so i just worry about the, the, what we can do internally because a lot about the outsiders or outside influence sometimes it's out of our control like i said with um open the gym it's sometimes a difficult one to navigate that isn't it because to other people you just not messing them back or grind people's gears and i've <laughs> had that quite a lot of times before like those whatsapp messages you left there for like five six seven days you haven't got back to and i think that's where in terms of like having large friendship groups and those dwindling down you you do really get to know the people who understand and support you mm. through for what you're doing the other question that i want to ask you is how you because i think both from even just people taking time off from the gym fitness but also business how would you now feel about taking time off? Because I know that's something that can be difficult for a lot of people, mm -hmm. especially if you're the type of person who is really super ultra focused and all in all the time. Yeah, really good question. I'm actually quite good at it. So because uh, maybe because I'm in, you know, I'm I'm in a we've been married for a long time and we've got kids. We don't go out necessarily at the weekends, and I'm not I don't drink either. So there's there's a few things that kind of play into. Um, that are advantageous for how I kind of take my foot off the gas. So weekends and stuff aren't usually big social occasions for us. I'm usually kind of, there's like an under, underlying tone of work, both on a Friday, a Friday, Saturday, and a bit on, on Sunday. So that I almost like afford myself, or I, I think to myself, every 
you know, a couple of months, a nice, like a nice holiday. Now that's obviously got harder now because you know, taking kids abroad, particularly young kids is, is difficult, but that was kind of my, my, my chance to reset. I don't take a break from training when I go on holiday. In fact, I probably train a little bit more, but mm-hmm. training for me bar, you know, rest days and when I need to recover, which I, I t- sort of take once a week, I don't necessarily feel the need to take a whole week off training. Mm-hmm. Um, I maybe did, I maybe would if I was competitive in a sport where, you know, you, you're, you're peaking towards something where you just need to take your, that psychological reset and physical. That, that doesn't normally happen when you're just training to stay in shape year round. Um, but then, yeah, going on holiday, it's still a really good work time for me. I have some great thoughts and, and, and thinking time and, and, and do some business planning, but it means I'm not involved too much in the day to day and the detail. Um, so, yeah, I've actually learned to, to enjoy those moments. And almost like I say, I, I've like I've earned it because of the, the, the work sprints that I put in when I'm back here. I think that's a skill because I'm definitely not there yet. I really struggle taking time off because I'm not doing something. Well, in your head, you feel like the business is stagnant Mm. or it's not. It's obviously not. But that's something like we went to America this year and I was like pining to do a bit of work or checking. And I do find it hard as well because we're on socials and it's like, is technically posting on our Instagram. It is work. Mm -hmm. And you've always said, no, I'll always produce content. I'm like, yeah, but that still is not taking... Yeah, still not taking time off. And that's the only thing. I'm working on it though, but I'm very aware that I'm working on it. Yeah, we, um, it's good you said that, right? Because when I'm on social media, I'm like, I'm working, I'm working. Mm. Um, we've got a nutrition coach. Her name's Didi. She's an incredible lady. She's just came back from a holiday in Portugal. And she she sat with us yesterday when we were having breakfast. And I said, oh, did you, did you look at your emails at all all week? And she was someone who, again, would always kind of, so she's always working. She works incredibly hard, but she didn't look at her emails at once all week. She just enjoyed, you know, a real break. And that's something that I think she's practiced and built towards. I'm not at that stage yet. Like when I go on holiday, I don't get anxious about working. I just am working. There's like, I'll, I'll answer my emails. I'll get back to, to anything that I need to try and do. Um, equally, like I'll, I'll it's secondary to whatever is on that day, but I will do it at some stage. Mm. I won't put my phone away and lock it in a you know in a safe and not look at it for a week. I've just I'm, I, I don't think I ever you know I ever will. Um, but we're also in a fortunate position that there are people within the business that that manage different you know areas of it that can or, or there's and there's people responsible for that that can that can pick up you know the day to day stuff. So it's not like we 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 have to just pause. A lot of personal trainers or online coaches when they are on holiday. Um, they don't necessarily have anyone getting back to their clients. So I think it's about just putting good systems in place. Mm-hmm. I know some, some people who do some good work in the build up to a holiday to make sure they've done all their check-ins, all their programming, made some automations and just said, look, between this time and this time, I'm on, I'm online for an hour. If you have any you know, questions and a serious question would, you know, looks like, looks like this. If you don't, you know, we can say, save it till I'm back. Mm-hmm. And I think once you can draw those, those boundaries, it's a really important big step yeah. in people's businesses. You said that you didn't drink anymore. Yeah. What what made you make that decision? Uh, so I gave up um, probably 28 years old, 29, 28, 29. I think last year was probably the year that I drank the most and I probably drank half a dozen times. And it, I made a bit of a joke out of a thing where I just put hashtag just one, where mm-hmm. I just have one drink. Um, long story short, I never really enjoyed the taste of alcohol. So there was never a drink that I actually liked drinking. Um, and then, you know, sort of sort you through your teenage years and early 20s, particularly in rugby culture, you're... You're, you're encouraged to drink. And I found myself drinking these drinks that like I just didn't enjoy the taste. So I was like, this, you know, looking back, it's like, why do you why do you do things like that? But it was a means to an end to get to get drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, and it literally was a means to an end. I'd, I'd find whatever drink I could that got me drunk the quickest. And I'd often end up paralytic in a fight, 
being carried home, like waking up in the morning, being like, oh, "How have I ended up here?" Mm -hmm. and and just quite unsociable. Um, yeah, and I got myself in in quite a few you know, really bad situations um, on a number of different occasions through university and you know early in my early in my twenties. So there was one there was one like event basically happened one Christmas. We just finished eating our Christmas lunch. Three families we all come together, and I was absolutely stuffed. We started playing this drinking game, and of course everyone finds it funny to try and get me to drink because I was the person that didn't really like drinking, but I'd often partake. It made me down this drink and I threw up my entire Christmas dinner. <laughs> and I was like, this is, I was like, like I said, 28 or whatever. I was like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah. So I just knocked it on the head. Um, and what that did for me, and this was in the early years of, of, of um, starting the business, my pro productivity, my ability to work at weekends when other people weren't. And yeah, I was like, I was hustling hard, but it allowed me, you know, a number of different, a number of days, headspace, energy, um, saved a shit ton of money. Uh, to, to invest into various different bits and pieces. And it completely accelerated all those other sides of, 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 of my life, be it in business and also, per, like I say, personally with investments that I could make um, and my relationships and things. Uh, but so now fast forward, I'll have the occasional drink, like I say, maybe half a dozen times a year because there's like a cool cocktail on a menu and I'll just, I'll try it. What's that drink for you? I love like a, like a frozen strawberry daiquiri. Like that's that. literally you, Ben. You love stuff like but that. It's like stuff that where you can really mask the taste of alcohol, yeah. and it tastes like a, like like an ice cream. Or Cal makes like a great drink. Good yeah, visit. Cal, well, you no, do Cal. make a good drink. To be fair, what drink? What what's your what's your? Uh... Oh, I don't know. I used to work in bars when I was in New York. The um so. the white milkshakey one. Oh, pina colada. Pina colada. You yeah. make yeah. that pina quite well. To be fair. Yeah, I mean, Loz, my wife loves a drink, um, and she loves a cocktail. But like if I go to a wedding or my stag doing stuff, like I'll have a, like I'll have a few drinks and I will. Oh yeah, I got pretty pissed, but um, <laughs> but yeah, ordinarily I just I just don't see the yeah. I I, I basically learned to. That was actually in in line with um, some of that burnout piece because I stopped drinking. I completely removed myself from social situations, and it goes back to then I was filling that time with stuff that was just like mentally and physically exhausting me because yeah. I didn't have the off switch. Then I learned with maturity that I could go to a bar or a pub with my mates. And that when the conversation got a bit, you know, south because they're all pissed at like nine, 10, 11 o'clock, and they're not even going to remember whether I was there or not, that's my cue to leave. Mm -hmm. Whereas I just didn't realize that that's something I could do. So I thought you had to go to the pub and I need to partake in the drinking. But as you, as you understand that, like, you don't need to succumb to peer pressure. My mates understood that I'm just, I just don't drink anymore. I then still need to be the person that goes to that social situation and put myself in that environment that was somewhat uncomfortable, but that's on me. Mm -hmm. um, that I could then I then had this that like, I could build back a social life that didn't necessarily mean I had to drink. I've definitely learned to do that more because first and second year of uni, I did really drink. Like I'm only 25 now. Most people, I just I don't love it, do I? I don't. More so for me, I don't like wasting a Sunday feeling hungover just don't like it I'm just rather go out on a walk I'd go on a I'd like to be up and active and it's not I'm the same I'd go to social situations I love a glass of red wine I do every weekend I do love a little glass of red wine but to get to the stage where you're really really drunk I've just never loved it but I'm getting used to the stage now where my friends aren't gonna be like oh she's so boring mm. I can still go and have a great time and people won't know none the wise that I'm not drinking as much as them but it's it's definitely taken a bit of time. You're you're quite similar, I'd say. I still like having a drink. Have you tried the shoffy? <laughs> What's that? Shop offer. I tried it the first time. We it's did like the sugary um, beer. We did 
a Epcot bar crawl around Disney. Right. In all, have you been to Epcot before? No. It's like they got all these countries, and like each one you can get a different drink, like based on that culture. And they have a drink called a Schofferhofer, which is a grapefruit beer. It was so, German, I think. Yeah, it was German. It's quite low percentage, but right. it tastes like orange juice, mate. A little bit, of, <laughs> little bit of yeast, so it's yeah, it's that'll really, be your it's really good. But um, yeah, I mean, I still enjoy going out for a drink and stuff, and I think it depends on the the occasion. Like this weekend, we had friends and stuff around. I didn't end up getting fucked up, whereas usually potentially wasn't. But I think it also takes a certain level of confidence to be able to to say no to people because it's that element especially i think with guys are maybe a bit of like toxic toxic masculinity intent mm. gearing each other on egging each other on and even like really goading people into like being insultive to people they don't they don't drink there's that kind of culture i think especially mm. in the uk which is difficult to navigate through i think even for me sometimes i will or have drank just simply for to have more confidence mm. when i've been out and about or when i'm doing stuff as well and i think then potentially maybe the question that even for me and other people that they should be asking themselves is maybe why mm. why are you drinking if you if it was just a, a, a kind of transportation from a to b is it is it really worth it are you, are you really enjoying being out and drinking and i think if potentially more people ask themselves why they were drinking am i doing it for other people or am i doing it for myself then mm. they might even even question drinking themselves yeah it's simple just like writing down the pros and cons of drinking and just working out like, is it, is it really worthwhile for me? Like I said, I got myself into too many situations where it was just like, it's not conducive with the person that I want to, that mm. I want to try and be in it. And it allowed me to then accelerate other areas of my life that I was just like handicapping myself every weekend by drinking. Um, and then when you just try and have a social drink, I'm then drinking drinks that I just don't like the taste of. Mm. It's like, oh, how stupid is that? Yeah. Like every, if I could, I'd just turn my head and wince every time because <laughs> I'm just now trying to do it yeah. to, like, to try and fit in. Um, and I think it is a peer pressure thing. I've seen some some stuff on social media recently about like, sobriety and stuff. And I think it will come with, with maturity, but also other people just accepting that, like just accept people's choices of, of what they want to do. It's the same yeah. with like eating. If you if someone orders a salad, all of a sudden you want to die, like, oh, are you dieting? Or what's wrong with you? Like, why are you, why are you eating that? It's like everyone's just so concerned about what, what everyone else is doing because they're projecting often their own insecurities and, and feelings for themselves on you. Yeah. Well, as we know, it's like the, the people that you surround yourself with, like if you've got a group of friends who don't drink, the likelihood is you're probably not going to drink that much. Mm. Whereas if you've got a group of rally lads or girls like going on the last all the time, you're probably going to drink quite a lot. If you've got like a kind of culture community of people who are all getting in the gym, doing certain things, certain times, and they're into kind of nut eating nutritionally balanced diet, there's more likely that you're, you're potentially going to do it as well. Yeah. So it, I think it massively does depend on who you're, your, um, you're surrounding yourself with. One of the last things I wanted to touch on, and probably one of the most important things, is we know we discussed earlier about rabbit holes, dark places, burnout. Mm. What kind of things do you do to be more proactive now with your mental health? Uh, good question. Um, a lot of this stuff isn't like just conscious decisions. It's stuff that I think is compounded over time that I realize, okay, this is, this is what I need to be doing every day. Like, like I say, I need to train every day. Um, that's kind of the, that, that anchors my day. It gets rid of any kind of anxious feeling that I have. It allows me to, to feel quite fulfilled. It allows me to work on myself. Um, I'm in a fortunate position now where I'm able to offload, delegate, work with, collaborate with other people around me. Whereas, when I started off in, in business, I, I took that all upon my, all upon myself. 
So that's something that, again, you need to work on yourself to be able to, to reach out to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, and that might be in that you're, you're reaching out for, for a bit of help or you're reaching out and you're paying someone for, for their time and their help. But in turn, that's allowing you to, you know, free up some of your time as well. I think that's an important thing within business that like sometimes you need to spend money to make money. Um, better conversations, which I think comes with just maturity. Like if you are feeling, um, you know, stressed out, whatever it may be, it's just like opening up and, and having those conversations. Um, there's not a massive that I do in terms of, you know, other, other than that, I don't really practice gratitude often, probably should do it a little bit more. Um, there's not really much else I do now. Like I say, it's just a, it's a, it's a, um, over time I've realized what a, what a, a balanced day looks like and what a balanced week would look like for me. And then I know when I need to take my foot off the gas. I also appreciate now that when I'm in a work sprint or something's launching or we need to work hard, like just accept that, that, like that it is what it is. And just not let yourself get too frustrated and, and, and annoyed or or about it. I also think that's really important because you're like listing off like three things that work for you. Mm. Some people feel they need like ten, like ten, like these ten things help them. Like mm. there's so many different things. Probably having fewer and three or four that work is probably more beneficial. Like mine's literally training, walking, and having a therapist. Yeah. I don't, I don't need thousands more because then I'm probably going to make myself more anxious and stressed by trying to do all those other things. Like I tried meditation, hated it, it didn't work. My head was too busy. So that's just a really good point to like people, you don't need 15 different things, like find the few that work for you mm. and that's it. Don't feel pressured to have loads of things. I walk loads. So mm. again, prior to the commute now to come to London, which has kind of happened over the last couple of weeks, I'm up at sort of four, four thirty, and the first thing that I usually that I do is I'm out the house. And I'm I'm just walking. Um, often I'm I'm maybe answering some admin or getting a, getting a jump on the day, getting ahead of um, some of the bits, or I'm just kind of you know just filtering out thoughts. Mm. But I walk I walk everywhere. Um, and secondly, I, we we just touched on drink. I genuinely think giving up on drink is one of the, the best things for my for my um, just headspace. You know, I think the anxiety people get on a Sunday, um, I think the links to depression as well often people are using it as a form of, of, of escapism mm -hmm. um and not addressing the, the the deeper issues but yeah i'd say yeah just to add into two that i said but yeah walking is, is, a, is a brilliant one which is kind of linked to exercising um and giving up drinking i think drink definitely masks for a lot of stuff and i, I want to kind of slide this one of my favorite quotes in there and it probably ties in quite well with with drinking and identity and wearing different masks and it was we wear different masks and hide all reality from everyone, including ourselves. Our assumed identities become our whole lives and we start to believe them even more than others do. Mm. I think that that can definitely be tied into drinking because people will quite literally put on a mask when yeah. they go out, which is which is drink. Yeah, and I think just as you were reading that, the same thing happens on social media as well. 100%. It's like people just not being themselves. And yeah. then like... Unfortunately, it doesn't happen a lot to me, but it's people that I've followed and I've given a lot of sort of like respect to and at least give my time to follow them and then you meet them and they're just not yeah. not how they are. It's just like, why? why yeah, why I hate that. that. This is why I like podcasts though. Mm. You can't hide. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't hide in a podcast. You're very yeah. honest. You can't, you can't be in that bed for 90 minutes or so. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Still, if, if, you, if you could, it'd be fucking incredibly difficult to do so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That means basically you're not a knobhead. <laughs> yes. But, um, and the last thing, just just on the back of mental health before we finish up is, and we finished on this question yesterday. Those hardships that you've been through, those burnouts, those difficult times, those rubber holes, 
would you, if you could go back and change anything through that journey, well knowing that if, if doing so, you could change the trajectory of where you potentially would have been now? No, no, I don't think so. Like, like I said, they're all like, it's not to make them sound like ter- terribly drastic, but they're all kind of just little battle scars that make you, you know, make you who you are today. Like, fortunately, none of them were, were that catastrophic that it's, you know, I'm, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had the success that we've gone on to have because of those, because of those lessons, um, which is great in hindsight. You know, when you, when you're in it, you don't, you don't see it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think anyone that just gets wrapped up in cotton wool and has an easy ride and it handed to them, probably just not they're not a, they're not a good person a well-rounded person if something does come along and that you know that tests their resilience that they can't get, be protected from mm-hmm. they'll probably fall apart yeah um whereas i think the the you know who i am today and 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 who you know the people around me are today it's all been kind of through the the, the life lessons that we've kind of been g- g- given and they are just all you know little lessons along the way amazing lovely well firstly a massive thank you for, for jumping on mate i know you're a busy man congratulations on all the success and, and yeah. well deserved and hope it hope it continues because i think you're doing great things for the industry mate so thank you very much for jumping on today thank you guys where um where can people find more of both you and also the the new facilities um so i used to be just instagram but at ollie march on um you can follow the business at march on uh but now i'm also trying to a little hand at youtube as well so we're, yes. we've got a youtube series launching or launch with a couple of episodes the gym's over here in stratford we also have one in hertfordshire um, and we do online coaching as well but um just hit me up on instagram and we can talk can people swing by to the gym or is it 100 percent. Yeah, yeah we do drop-ins yeah we've also got a really cool little coffee house as well at the stratford gym so Amazing. Um, come down, grab a coffee, have a chat, hang out and get a session in. Amazing. Thank you so much. I feel like everyone's going to love this. Everyone's going to love this app. Anyone who's watching, please, um, if you are responding to any of the clips or putting anything up, please tag myself, Lucy or Ollie, and continue to leave reviews on the Spotify channel, Apple Podcasts, and any questions, feel free to drop on the YouTube channel. Yeah, and subscribe to the YouTube as well, because while you're there, you may as well. Bye, guys. Bye. Cheers, guys.